ESPN 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Jeff Mosier, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. We expect to win every time we step on the field. You know, that's just the mindset that we have. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. All right, Football at Four brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, and there's a lot to dive into as we get ready for... It's so weird. By now, the Eagles would have played a preseason game by now, right? This past Thursday would have been their first preseason game, and it feels like the Eagles and football are so lost in the sauce right now. I think it's crazier that I didn't even realize that. Because there's so much else going on. Flyers, you know, all this great stuff that it went right over my head. Thursday night would have been the first preseason game. Their second one would be coming up. Now, they had canceled four or gone down to two. And the first preseason game under that scenario was going to be the 20th. But now, of course, there's no preseason games. So when are we going to see some football? There's a lot of news and stuff to get into with the Eagles. Jeff Mosher Inside the Birds podcast, and he joins us for a Mosher Monday here on Football at 4 on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. Mosher, what's up, pal? How are you guys doing? Happy Monday to both of you. Yeah, man. Think about that. The Eagles would have been, they would have played Thursday night if everything was normal, and we would be locked in on football, and now it seems like football is so under the radar, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, this is the time of the year where we're already complaining about play calling and the Hall of Fame game and -and so-and-so doesn't look good. And it does feel like we are far away from even getting the parts of practice where we get to really say, hey, this guy stands out, that guy stands out. But we're we're, we're far, but we're not. I mean, today is the 10th, I believe the 16th is when uh, the, the start, actually the 12th, I think, is the start of a little bit more of a ramp up and the 16th even more so. So by this time next week, Mike, we may be able to talk about somebody who did something interesting in practice. Therefore, if, if only if someone's available to see it, though. We would be knee-deep, sure though. Available. We would be knee-deep into the conversation of, you know, should they play more? Preseason doesn't matter. These guys aren't playing. I mean, that second preseason game has really right. become a nothing burger. Um, you know, so, hey, it is what it is. But as you said, uh, there is some storylines. Let's go to, I know it happened on Friday. Adam was on Friday's edition. But I know Vinny Curry uh, is a guy you know very well. You did a lot of reporting on this. He re-signs with the Eagles. It's a one-year deal. Let's kind of get into why Philadelphia and how he fits in. I know you have some insight on why he chose Philly. Yeah, I mean, first of all, this was one of the, sh- the more strange sagas that I've, I've covered because the Eagles, I've been reporting on Inside the Birds that the Eagles and, and Vinny have been in discussions going back, you know, months now. Uh, there was a time where Vinny's half-brother passed away and things got tabled, um, and then they started to be close again. And then as recently as last week, I was starting to hear from sources saying that it probably wasn't going to happen with Vinny and the Eagles. And um, there were some AFC teams that were interested and Cleveland made a very competitive offer and, and a better financial offer, as I understand. But at the end of the day, yeah, I think, you know, and we're seeing this all around sports, 
athletes are making decisions that aren't always based about the money. They're making decisions in this kind of year, especially based on health and safety and family. And obviously Vinny's from New Jersey. He's comfortable with the Eagles. He has opportunity for playing time here. Uh, he just can't guarantee. You know, he went to Tampa Bay a long time ago after the Eagles cut him after the Super Bowl, and he didn't have a good experience there. He made more money, but it wasn't a great experience for him. He got hurt that year as well. But even then, he wasn't loving his time in Tampa Bay. And the Eagles are just a team that makes sense for him, and he was, at the end of the day, willing to – um, make the deal work for him as long as the Eagles were, were were going to be at least competitive with their offer, which they ended up being. Um, so let me get your thoughts on why the Eagles decided now um, to bring him back. Mm-hmm. What does it mean for the defensive line rotation? And what does it say, I guess, about well, the other guys here? Because I'm imagining they got to a point which there is no training camp. We haven't seen anything. So why did they now feel that they needed an upgrade at that spot? Yeah, there's a couple of layers to this. First, uh, I have a couple of coaching sources tell me, and you know, even uh, recently last week someone reemphasized this to me, that they feel like versatility is going to be more key this year than ever before. And that's obviously because we don't know how if rosters are going to wind up being really impacted by COVID or not. And, you know, yeah, you can fill spots. You can have three guys go down to COVID and pull three guys up from your practice squad or off the street, but then you have to worry about acclimating them to your scheme and your system and hoping that they can play certain positions. The the one thing we know about Vinny is he knows the the scheme, he knows the team, and he is versatile. In fact, he really did his best work last year in December when he finally got playing time as a interior pass rusher. You know, they would go to their NASCAR package sort of NASCAR package because they still would have one defensive tackle, Fletcher Cox on the field, but Vinny would move inside to a defensive tackle. And then they would have two other defensive ends on the outside. And he did an, a really good job as an interior pass rusher. So that you look at this year and that's an area where Vinny can help if there's injuries, if there's, you know, uh, roster depletion for whatever, you've got a guy who can come in and play defensive end for you. You can have a guy who can come in, and move inside in the pass rush and play defensive tackle. And secondly, if you really look at the Eagles' defensive end situation, you have two knowns in Derek Barnett and Brandon Graham as far as they're your starters. And then everybody else, whether they're, they're a mixture of draft picks or acquisitions, I don't know if any of them are considered really well-rounded potential starters. We'll have to see on Sharif Miller. Um, he, he's kind of a big question mark because I drafted him last year, but he didn't play. I did hear he put on some good weight and looks good, but so we'll see. But Josh Sweat is a guy who has only played situationally so far. They have concerns about his knees holding up. I don't know that if Barnett or Graham were to get hurt, if Josh Sweat is a guy that you want out there on first and second down stopping the run because he's just not built that way. And then the same thing with Jannard Avery and Joe Osman, who are those kind of change-up type pass rushers. They're not guys who can stop the run on first or second down very well. And you never know what you're going to get from the kid that they drafted Casey Tuhill. So if Barnett or Graham were to get hurt, I think Vinny Curry out of everybody now is that natural guy who can come in and start, maybe play first or second down. And if he's not part of the nickel pass rush, that's okay because they have other guys that are meant for that role as well. Do you think that he can replicate the same type of production as he did last year? I would say that most people were probably pleasantly surprised with how he played. Do you think that he can have that type of season again at his age? 
It's a good question. I, I don't see why not, because in this system, Hunter, everybody's reps are monitored. Nobody has to play 80% of the reps. And it just depends on how they plan to use Vinny. So right now he's not going to start. So you would think he would be either either situational pass rusher or he's the the first and second down, second string, first and second down defensive end. You know, you go back a couple of years ago, Bo Allen was kind of like that. He was that second string defensive tackle on the Super Bowl team. He wasn't a great pass rusher. He was not out there as a starter, nor was he out there a lot on third down, but he was out there as your second string run-stopping unit. So I think they can do a number of things with Vinny, and he can be successful because he's basically done it all. When, it, when, he, when he was a starter in 2017, he played first and second down, and he came off the field for pass rush. Last year, when they needed interior pass rushers, he didn't start, but they would put him in on the inside on you know second and long and third down, and he did well from there. And that's always been the case with Vin. He's, he's never going to give you a you know 15 stacks. He's not Von Miller, but he can play pretty much any position, and he keeps his body in good condition, and he can give you really good, solid production no matter where you put him. I don't think – a year later is going to make a big difference for a guy like him because he's just never played, you know, 70 to a hundred percent of the snaps. One thing is, you know, you mentioned about that NASCAR package where he slides in, you got Malik Jackson, you got uh, Hargrave. Is there going to be as many opportunities for him to do that? Probably not to start off with, you know, and then hopefully everybody makes it kind of healthy to the, the training camp finish line. Ideally, if things are going well for the Eagles, as you mentioned, Mike, they've got, a trio of interior pass rushers. They already have to figure out how to get those three defense tackles on the field and maximize their production. So I think right now they see Vinny as a backup defensive end. And, you know, again, he's probably going to come in on first. And, you know, if the, if the Eagles are defensive on the field, right, and you've got Barnett and you've got Graham, and uh, the opponent picks up a couple of first downs and they're driving, well, those guys are going to get subbed out and Vinny and somebody else are, are going to get subbed in for a, you know, a series or two to keep legs fresh. That's how I see it now. And then we'll just see as the season goes on, as the pass rush packages develop, if there's a role for Vinny in that. You know, uh, I'm looking at you bring Vinny Curry back. And I was reading an article today at ESPN.com, one of the insider articles about uh, teams' rankings of top 20 uh, – 25-year-old talent and under. On that list, Philadelphia ranked 29th in the league, which is essentially you know third or fourth from the bottom. Um, so what is the message when you bring Vinny Curry in? He's an older guy. I mean, is this suggesting that the Eagles, you know, they don't have a uh, – apparently ESPN doesn't look at their younger players on this roster and say, hey, they got a lot of young guys coming through the pipeline it, that this move kind of says, hey, we think we can win a, a Super Bowl this year, doesn't it? Well, I don't think the the, the moves that the team make, makes are ever – I don't think any offseason is ever geared toward not winning the Super Bowl. I think Howie's been pretty upfront. He said some offseasons you definitely have to treat differently and you have to start to replenish your roster with younger talent. That's why they did this this year with the draft. They had a lot of picks, used almost all of them, if not all of them, double digits – I believe in draft pick selections, but they're not just trying to refurbish or retool, you know, or, or rebuild in a year. They're also trying to win, and and the offensive and defensive lines are an area that they always look to fortify. So they'll put that risk down to bring in a Jason Peters and a Vinnie Curry to be strong there because they know that being strong there gives them a better chance to win the Super Bowl. The question is, are you stunting 
the development of some of those youth. Uh, you can make that argument for Matt Fire. Certainly was going to have an opportunity to start um, with Jason Peters now, probably not. And you can make the argument sort of, I, I guess, similarly for whoever doesn't make the team at defensive end because Vinny does. But that might be someone like Casey Tuhill, who's a seventh-round pick. It might be Joe Osman, who is a, uh, a rookie free agent. It's not like either of those two, Peters or Vinny, are standing in the way of a first or a second-round pick making uh, a, a, his mark on this team. Jeff Mosher, uh, Inside the Birds podcast, of course, football at four. Vinny Curry signed last week and uh, late last week, getting some more insight on that move. Um, there was some um, thought that he had a better deal, correct, from uh, Cleveland, was it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's my understanding. So the fact that he decides to come here, and I guess the COVID stuff has a lot to do with it and, and all that stuff, does that suggest that he thinks he's going to have a bigger role here? Cause, or were they going to have similar roles? Probably similar. I mean, Cleveland has two pretty good starters at defensive end as well, right? They have Miles Garrett, one of the young, nicest young pass rushers in the league. Uh, um, and they have who's the veteran that came over from the Giants whose name is Olivier Vernon, Yep. right? And I believe they've got Adrian Claiborne as a, uh, a third or a fourth defensive end. So I think it's, it's fairly similar. But here's the thing. When you go to a place uh, like Vinny did in Tampa, right, you just don't get the benefit of that doubt. When he was in Tampa, he got hurt a little bit, and then there was a defensive end there whose name's escaped me. He was a Penn Stater, so I should remember his name. He had actually come over from Cleveland who got a few reps in there and wound up having a few sacks while Vinny was out. And then they kind of said, all right, we're going to stick with this. We're going to stick with the hot hand, right? And you go to Cleveland, you just never know new coaching staff, new regime. You know, when, you, when you're in Philadelphia and you've performed and the coaches know what you can do, be less inclined to skip over you, I think. They, they'll go to old reliable when they need it. And again, the comfort, the scheme, everything. So, so Vinny's looking at this saying, you know, in, in order to get snaps, I have to basically beat out, you know, Josh Sweat, who I was outperforming last year by December anyway, Sharif Miller, who's never played a game, Jannard Avery, who's only played a few snaps as an Eagle and is really not a, a defensive and a pure 4-3 D end as, we, as the others are. So I think Vinny does look at it and say, I, I'm, the coaches like me, they know me, they want me, and so if there's an opportunity to get playing time, I'm not going to get passed up for this, that, and the other. Does this move of Vinnie Curry make the Eagles higher on your list when it comes to the rest of the league? Like, if you were going to rank the Eagles' defensive line, does this move move the needle that much or not so much because it's, his impact won't be as big as, say, you know, how good Malik Jackson or Fletcher Cox or Brandon Graham plays? No, I think it's significant for the injury thing I mentioned. If You know, Derek Barnett's been hurt twice. If he were to get hurt again, or if Brandon Graham gets hurt, I just don't know how comfortable I feel with Barnett and Sweat, and Bar- or Barnett and Sharif Miller, or Barnett and whoever, as I would be, especially on first and second down, because Vinny plays the run really well, as I would be as if you put Vinny Curry in there, and then those other guys I mentioned are, are situational pass rushers, as we've seen so far. Because there's just a lot of unknown with those guys. So with Vinny, there's, there's the known. And then when you look at the, the defensive line in totality, and you see Brandon and Malik Jackson and Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave and Vinny. I mean, that's an established defensive line there. I mean, that's a really good, strong, deep defensive line to the point where if they do get some really positive 
um, pleasant surprise kind of production out of uh, whether it's Sweat or Miller or Gernard Avery or Casey Tuhill or whatever, you're just now adding gravy to the pot here. Jeff Mosher, Inside the Birds podcast, and of course, uh, football at four here, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. What's the story with Tatavius Brown? I mean, this kind of came out of right field. I don't know what kind of role he would have had, um, but uh, here's a position that they really need help, and they just lost the guy that they brought in here this offseason. Yeah, and it's been interesting <laughs> to me to see kind of the wave of reaction turn against Tatavius Brown. So now people are, are, you know, I've seen on Twitter or social media, even some people on our Inside the Birds Facebook group page saying, you know, I don't know if this is a big deal. He wasn't going to make a team anyway. It's not that good. You know, when he was on the team, it's like, oh, we expect a lot. This guy's athletic. He's have a, have a way better year. But as soon as he's off the team, it's like, yeah, he wasn't that good anyway. Uh, look, all I can tell you is, uh, I know this from a, from a coaching source, that this was this shocked them. They did not see it coming. It wasn't something COVID-related. It wasn't something that uh, they they could have predicted. And it, it really was about Jatavis on his own deciding that he was done with football. And, you know, without hearing from Jatavis himself, it's hard to uh, get inside his head and speak for him. But you know, he is a guy who has dealt with injuries in the past. And whether we've seen this with guys that who played linebacker, you know, whether it's uh, the head injuries or even Andrew Luck as a quarterback, he was just tired of, of rehabbing and he gave it up. And we, we're seeing that a little bit more uh, these days where guys are, are really looking out for their bodies and their future. And he just told the team, I'm sorry, that's it. My, I'm, I'm just not in it anymore. And so you can say it's not a big deal because who knows if he was going to make the team, but, Honestly, he was their most veteran linebacker. Uh, doesn't mean he was definitely going to make the team, but I think he stood a pretty good shot. I mean, he's one of the few linebackers that they've had that, that's played a couple of years in this league and has been a starter. So now you're looking at it where you've got Nate Gary, T.J. Edwards, Duke Riley, Davion Taylor, and you know, you'll hear Adam and I talk more about Davion Taylor on the next Inside the Birds and forward. I, I think people really need, really, really need to temper their expectations for him. Uh, he's about as raw and as much of a project as it comes. So having a guy like Jatavis Brown would have been helpful. I think he would have competed to start as, as an outside linebacker um, and maybe a nickel linebacker. And, and now they're left with, you know, what, the same old names that I'm recirculating. This is not a good linebacker group by NFL standards. If each position on this team plays the best of their ability, plays the best that they possibly can play, will this current linebacker core work? If each, you, you mean, is the team strong enough elsewhere to compensate for the linebacker? Yes, exactly. That's a big, I mean, who knows? I don't know if anybody can come into the box and play from the secondary, you know, the run as well as Malcolm Jenkins can. You know, the crowd's good veteran safety, I, I, I assume he's going to be more of deep safety in their cover one, cover three look, and that Will Parks and Jalen Mills are going to be guys that are up in the box a little bit more, and as good as they can be, can they be Malcolm Jenkins? You know, can they help alleviate that? You could play nickel against the Giants, against the Cowboys, with just two linebackers on the field, because you knew you had Malcolm Jenkins as kind of a third linebacker to come down from the safety spot. Can you now continue to be in nickel? which is what most teams want to be in defensively and then rely on one of those other safeties that I just mentioned to come into the box and stop a guy like Ezekiel Elliott or Saquon Barkley or whoever's going to be getting the rock for, uh, for Washington. You know, Adrian Peterson's a big guy. I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't bet a lot of money on it. I think it's 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 going to be a difficult ask. Yeah, and I know that um, there are uh, a couple of uh, situations, I guess, that could come forward. When is this? You know, typically you're in training camp. Uh, you'll get a couple of veterans cut, or you get that you know, wave of cuts. You know, do you anticipate that happening? Yes, I've anticipated it for a while. I thought how he might add linebacker group even before the start of camp, and maybe he still will before they start to you know really ramp up the next week or so. Maybe he will add somebody. Maybe he'll wait. You know, he'll get a look at the young guys here throughout camp and then wait until those uh, cuts are made and then maybe make a waiver wire addition. But I would be stunned if he didn't make some kind of veteran addition to this group. Stunned. All right, there you go. Jeff Mosher would be stunned (laughs) if they don't bring in a guy. I mean, is there a guy um, that's still free, or do you think he's on another roster right now? Well, the funny thing is, I was we were going through Adam Kaplan and I were going through um, free agents, right, uh, at the linebacker position, and as they are every year in in August, it's not good, right? They, you go look at the names, and some of them I don't have off the top of my head right now, but he he named three or four, and and both of us agreed that's not really good. But would you take those three or four over the top Eagles three or four linebackers? For example, if you just released all Eagles linebackers signed the top four free agents, and they made a comparison of who you'd rather have, are you sure you wouldn't actually be taking those free agent linebackers because at least they've played in the league, they have experience, you've seen what they can do? It's a good argument. I mean, look, I'm not trying to kill the Eagles linebackers. I think T.J. Edwards showed just something a little bit last year for a rookie free agent, but he's really a a rundown linebacker. And Nick Gary can cover a little bit. You know, he's seen that. But if those guys were all released tomorrow – Every other team would be looking at them saying the same things we're saying now about the free agent linebackers. Well, you mentioned Taylor, their third-round pick, and you mentioned how we should lower expectations for him because, you know, he did get drafted high. You would think if he was drafted that high that he would be more ready to play than maybe he is. What should we expect out of him? Uh, all right, so there, there's layers to that. Yeah, the Eagles drafted him in the third round. When I looked around the league and, you know, we did this for Jalen Hurts and other guys and – asked other scouts if they felt that Davion Taylor was a true third-round player. I kind of got to, "Eh, I don't know about that. I don't think so. You know, clearly the Eagles prioritize his athleticism and his speed, his traits in making him a third-round pick. So, you know, that's what they were looking for, and that's what they've got. But he has not played a lot of football. He has a ton of learning to do. And they're not getting a real opportunity the way they have been in the past because of no OTAs and even this kind of weird training camp to really, really fully get the full on learning experience. And so I would expect for him to be behind even most rookies at this point. And it wouldn't shock me if you heard more positive things about Sean Bradley early on because he may not be the athlete that Davion Taylor is, uh, which is why he was a uh, six or seventh round pick, but he is a linebacker through and through. He's played the position for a while. He's very smart, a coachable kid. So um, to get back to Davion Taylor, I think the, the best expectations you can have is that he gets on the special teams and gets out there and uses that speed and athleticism, makes some plays, and, and hopefully by middle or the end of the season he can get on the field in the defense a little bit, but I would not hold my breath on that. Chiefs-Texans open the NFL season one month from today. And uh, we hope to see that game. We shall see. Looks like college football could be in some trouble, which means the NFL could move 
uh, to all sorts of days. You can have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Thursday NFL games, and we'll always have football at four powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Jeff Mosher at Jeff Mosher NFL. All right, Mosher, take care, pal. All right, fellas, have a great day. How about that? One month from today is the start of the NFL season. Does it feel like it? Nope. Not at all. Jeez. Not at all. I'll tell you what. While the couple of months was painful with no sports, normally August is like, you know, the end. You're like, okay, get me through the end of the summer. Get me to football. You're not. You're not thinking about football at all with hockey going on. The Flyers with the NBA playoffs. The NBA playoffs haven't even started yet. Not even started yet. It's very interesting how this is all going to play out. You know, we talked a few months back. Oh, it's going to be so overwhelming. There's going to be so much. It is. We're starting to feel that now. Think about, you say it's overwhelming. You don't care about football right now. Well, I think it would be different (laughs) if football was being played and I didn't feel like I was juiced up for football. Normally, you're so juiced up for a preseason game. You're right. It's funny, Mo started out football at four by saying we're react overreacting to stuff. There's always that guy that wants the the first team to play a couple downs in the preseason three yep. game, but they don't. Then they, oh, how are they going to be ready to play? I need to put, see them put together a sustained drive. drive. <laughs> but they go three and out. Yeah. That's glass. I got to see them play and put together a good drive. Otherwise, they can't win games this year. And all they do is run the ball three times anyway. It's not like they're out there doing anything. Thing, but maybe getting some flow at running the ball. How's that going to sustain your drive? Jeremy Blevins on the Sixers next. That's 609-403-0973. Alright, Sixers uh, tomorrow, 430. The game's right here on 97.3 ESPN. Brought to you by Bob McAllister. Call Comfort Now for discounts with Rebates on qualifying cooling and heating systems. Visit Bob and the Comfort Now team online at IWantComfortNow.com. Mike Gill, Hunter Brody, Jason Blevins covers the 76ers at Jay Blevins NBA. Get some more insight on what this team does moving forward. What do we know about Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid? And obviously how that impacts everything moving forward for this team, which uh, fought hard last night, Broads, but they come up short against the Portland Trailers. But you know what? Fighting hard is nice. I mean, I think that says something about the coach to be able to keep that team going when you're out Ben Simmons, when you're out Joel Embiid. But that being said, what's left over is not a championship team. And that's this playoff. It's This team was built for the playoffs. Not good. In, this, this team's just not good enough if Joel Embiid's out. Oh, no doubt. I don't expect him to be out long term. We hope not. We'll get an update on that coming up uh, a little bit later. Brett Brown is set to talk to the media. Jason Blevins joins us now. Let's get an update on what he knows about Ben Simmons. And for all intents and purposes, Jay, it seems that Ben Simmons will not see the court again this year. He has left the bubble, correct? He, he has left the bubble. Um, he will be getting surgery. Um, haven't heard if he's gotten it today, but within the next um, couple of days. And uh, it looks like it's going to be about six week uh, recovery which um means that would that would bump pretty close up against the nba finals so barring barring a run that looked really certain to go to the finals um it doesn't seem like they're going to try to ramp him back up to um 
game activity uh, this year. So obviously, it's a big loss. But let's go uh, first level here and and look at the matchup. It looks like it's going to happen with Boston. Boston is one team that really gives Ben Simmons a lot of problems. So is losing Ben Simmons against Boston as big of a problem as it might be big picture to go deep in you know the playoffs? Yeah, I I, I agree that it's a, it's a team that's a tough matchup for him and um, somewhat neutralizes what he really does well on, on both ends. So, you know, they don't really have the – dominant, dominant score. You can make a case that you put him on Jason Tatum. But, um, you know, that's that's the one team where you, you don't think the matchup changes all that much um, without Ben. What are your thoughts on the way Al Horford has stepped up since being thrown back into the lineup? I thought he's played very well. He did get into some foul trouble yesterday, which limited him to, I believe it was about 22 minutes. But all around, you definitely see a different um, Al Horford ever since that minus 26 in 23-minute game to start the bubble against the Pacers. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that's a great point. Um, I think Al has settled into his place on the team, which which really was uncertain um, early in the season. I think he was uh, he was trying to be gentle, not appear uh, like a sort of a, a looming sort of um, vet that would second guess what some of the younger stars would do. And and uh, and I think he's really found his place and his voice. So I think I think you're seeing that on the floor. Jason Blevins covers the 76ers uh, at Jay Blevins NBA on Twitter. Uh, realistically, now we're going to get an update on Embiid, I guess, here sh- uh, shortly. Uh, I mean, him coming back out last night, I heard Richardson say last night post game, like the me- the messaging seems to be that Embiid is going to be okay. But realistically, whether he is fine, not fine, or whatever, do you anticipate seeing much more of him? I wouldn't play him again, no. This is really the only benefit to having him on the floor right now before the beginning of the first round is to get him – many, many reps with double teams thrown at him, and you want to see double teams from all angles and force him to sort of get that get that vision, but um, you know, they've, they've got a back-to-back coming up, and then they've got a final game, so you know, are you going to play him, and let's say he's totally fine today, let's say it was just a complete, simple rolled ankle, and he wakes up today fine, you know, maybe you pay, play him in one of those back-to-back, the second back-to-back game, uh, limited minutes, but I think the bigger the bigger opportunity here is knowing that your seating is pretty much what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, give the other guys some some oxygen to um, to breathe because I think what you saw last night was um, guys that just don't get a lot of touches and um, don't get a lot of shot clock to work with. Uh, kind of got some time to just do their thing, and you saw sort of the a more conventional basketball team um, once they kind of knew he was not going to return. Yeah, I mean, the one, I guess, question, and, and you know, I'll, I'll see what you think about this, is the how do you balance, and Bede has had all sorts of injuries, yet some of the problems has been his cardio and, you know, yeah. balance him not playing that much and then having him basically not play from now until, I mean, the NBA playoffs starts the 17th. That's still over a week from now. It is. So I mean, you have you have practices, you have um, bikes, 
you, you do yeah, pools, you do everything you can do to keep him um, in somewhat shape. You don't want him, uh, obviously, just on the trainer's table for two hours and then go back to the hotel and play FIFA. That's what you don't want, to your point. Um, but, you know, what you, what you saw a few days ago from Joel was he was back to that sort of flying around, um, trying to block every shot, you know, falling on the ground a lot. And um, you don't want him second-guessing his ankle as he's sort of flying around. You just don't want that because that's, that's how injuries do occur when you're sort of thinking about something um, and you're caught in between playing loose and, and thinking about your your potential injuries. So I don't know. It, it, this is why these coaches um, and medical staff get paid um, so much money, and, and it's time for them to earn that money and find that balance. You know, it's, it's what, a week away now? Um, so deliver him in shape a week from now. <laughs> what, else, yeah. what else can we say? <laughs> you know? What do you think that this playoff run means for Brett Brown at this point? You lose Ben Simmons. Now Joel Bede's probably not going to you know, see much time from now until the postseason. And Does he get the benefit of the doubt because here's a postseason where he doesn't have a major player like Ben Simmons? And then you also have to factor in because of COVID-19, our team's going to be willing to pay out his contract, buy him out, and then pay a whole new coach as well. How do you think this plays out for Brett Brown if it doesn't go as planned and there's no deep run? Uh, I think it's deep run or where they'll be trying something new. Um, pretty, pretty, pretty simple. I think it's, you know, they go to the conference finals, deliver a, a really um, surprising performance, uh, or, um, or he'll be looking for something new, new challenges. And I think um, the franchise will be looking for a new voice um, in that locker room, and um, they're gonna, you know, long before they ever think to uh, break up their their young core, they're gonna look to see if a new voice can sort of make things work. So I I think they would have to really shock some people uh, for him to um, be back. Yeah, and I guess, uh, and, and by the way, I agree with you. I mean, as much as uh, I, I think that, um, you know, he's been dealt kind of some wild hands, the three different GM, I mean, we, we can go through all that. But does the COVID play any role here, that they don't want to pay two coaches, they might play in a bubble again next year? I mean, it, it might. It, it shouldn't. And, and in, in Brett Brown, the fans, I think, he has executed um, really well to the uh, mission that he's been given most of the years. So, if you look at when they when they really wanted to develop assets, develop young guys, um, create a carousel of players to look at them, he 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 absolutely executed on that. Got them top picks and got them 23, 25 players per season to to look at, try out. And then when they were ready to win, he's been a you know a sixty percent um, winning head coach since since they sort of turned that page. So I don't think it's an indictment on him and his performance to say that this this is kind of the year that um, you know there aren't there aren't a lot of excuses now. If it's a financial decision 
um, because of revenue, then I don't think you have a stable ownership group in the first place. Because you know, if five million dollars, or, or you know, I don't think he's getting paid five million, but you know, if, if five or five or ten million dollars over the next few years is the difference between you um, taking that next step or not, then I don't, I don't know that you are in a stable position as an organization. I would have to agree. What are your thoughts on some of Brett's rotations? I know Alec Burks has been definitely making some noise. Do you think that he should be the first guy off the bench at times you've been seeing Furkan Korkmaz? So where do you think Alec Burks is now that he's been scoring the, uh, the ball lately? If he continues to hit three-pointers at the clip he's, he's hitting them. Right. Um, I mean, my opinion hasn't changed over the last week. You know, he's put up some numbers, but um, when you look at the body of work and, and, and his career, he's, he's going to thrive when you give him the ball with plenty of shot clock and let him operate, which is what they did last night. So, you know, that's a real, that's a real opportunity for him over the next few games to really get, get some eyeballs and, and some shot clock and, and some dribbles to uh to create now um under normal circumstances do i think he's a net you know a positive in the playoffs um i just think it's very situational you know it's yeah it's uh it's very situational <laughs> well and then it kind of leads me to this is have we learned anything about the rotations in this team in the bubble So I think I think one thing we've learned um, by virtue of not having it is Glenn Robinson the third is it plays a, cr- a critical role um, and it hurt to not have him. Um, I think what um, what you've learned is that Shake Milton is um, an upside player who um, can be rattled by certain types of guards. Um, and um, and I think there that there are a lot of positives about Tobias Harris's quiet quiet leadership and quiet game. I think we've learned that he's he's really put up some pretty good good games without a lot of fanfare. Um, and then last night, Josh Richardson with a with a conventional lineup, not having to feed the post, not having to play off off of Ben Simmons. Uh, was really able to do some nice things. So uh, those are the things I would I would point to as being um, lessons. All right. Well, uh, tomorrow, 4.30 on 97.3 ESPN. I don't know how much more of these games have a lot of meaning for the Sixers. It looked like they're kind of locked into that sixth spot. It looks like Boston is likely going to be locked into the three spot, and that will be your first-round matchup uh, for the most part. Uh, and, and you wrote a piece this weekend about – Joel Embiid and, and, you know, his ability to kind of, you know, see the double teams and that. So I'll ask you this. Can the Sixers still make a deep playoff run, a championship run, running through Joel Embiid? Um, I, do, I do think so. I, I think that is um, that is something that over the course of a seven-game series, uh, he will get to be able to uh, see more and more of. You know, one team is only going to have so many different ways to double him, and uh, I think it's something he can adjust to throughout a seven-game series versus uh, playing a different opponent each night. Uh, I do think it creates a lot of things for 
other uh, other players in the team. So, but again, I I am definitely a ones and fives guy. So I'm not a. Uh, I believe in the the uh, importance of the point guard and the center on, on both ends. So uh, <laughs> I do think that it is something that is unique, and they have a, a special advantage against uh, some of the teams that are just constructed to stop your smaller five-out type teams. All right, uh, the season continues tomorrow. Looking forward to uh, see how Joel's uh, you know ankle is when uh, Brett talks in about 15 minutes. Jay will be on that call. If there's any update, he'll let us know at Jay Blevins NBA for more. And, of course, uh, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Jay, take care, man. Thank you. All right, so we got a lot to dive into with, uh, obviously, he says um, – Something interesting about he says not to play. He doesn't. He wouldn't play Embiid again. What about you? I mean, that to me is kind of like yeah, I, I get so torn there. Because Embiid, the one thing with him is, uh, is he in shape? Is he in the rhythm? Is he? I mean, he's been playing really well. But I, I know you don't want him to get hurt in meaningless games. With three games left, I think I would. Maybe you don't got to play him forty minutes, but can you throw him out there for eighteen to twenty in these games? You know what I mean. So it's hey, he's still running up and down, but he's not putting in a full load. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. You got to at least get him out there he's for one more at all, game. Right? I know. For a week. Like if they play Toronto and they you don't play anybody, saying. yeah, then you don't play him that game. If they play Marcus or Baca, those players, I think you put him out there, mm. right? Yeah, I mean, I just hate having him sitting doing nothing. I know it's ridiculous. All right, Jay Blevins. Good stuff from him. We'll probably catch up with him uh, either tomorrow before the game, 4.30 till. I'm actually off tomorrow, so you guys can do whatever you want. We'll lead you up to the game. Talk to him. Talk to McCormick. Talk to whoever you got. MKB was on the other day. Saw that. Yep. Yeah, I was driving around on Friday, getting stuff done. Little Friday. I wish it was Friday. Yeah, well. Playoff hockey. What did I do Friday? Hmm. I don't remember. Seemed like it was eventful. Um, probably not. <laughs> I was in the car a lot, though. Oh no, I went on a I went on like a uh, tour of the liquor stores looking for some beers, low cows, low carb. That's what you do with your Friday, huh? Yep. I went to eight different liquor stores. Eight. Did you get what you wanted? Well, I did research Thursday night, and I found all these new ones. All these companies now—they must be listening. They're all making these beers, so I found like eight new beers. You know, not one liquor store had them. I have never heard of this fascination with these low-cal IPAs for them to be flying off the racks like this. Well, it's new. Is it? Yeah, but are you saying that they're not stocking properly for how many people are coming in? Well, or that, it's so new that people are no, just no, no, getting there's them? A, there's a combination that the liquor stores aren't carrying them yet. No, they're new. Like the the the, the like the companies are just now making them right. they because of the demand. Right. Yeah. I got you. I got you. But I had a fun day. Yeah, seemed it. Sports Pass Live. 5 o'clock tonight, Bob Wankel talks Philly. Scott Lawton of the Flyers tonight at 5.30, stick. It's Sixers basketball tomorrow on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Bike of Roads, Sports Pass, driving you home, coming up in the next hour. Bob Wankel's going to talk some Phillies with us uh, from Crossing Broad. He was there all weekend and had some interesting Reese Hoskins stats I want to get into. What's Spencer Howard's next deal? Uh, the next time we see him pitch, that's an interesting story you're going to want to hear. Coming up at 5, then Flyers uh, sniper, Scott Lawton. How about that? If you said that to me two years ago, I'd say, what are you talking about? You're going to tell him that? No, of course not. (laughs) 
course not. I'd like you to well, say no, I, I never viewed you as a well, scorer. Are you? Are you I, yes, I wouldn't. Yes, I will ask him a question in terms of going down that road, but I'm not going to say, "Hey, there was a time where I thought you were a hey, nobody, and you kind of developed into something special." I'm not going to say that to him. Well, you can. He's not going to be offended. He's going to say, "See, you're well, I'll wrong." I'll tell him I dropped the mitts with him. Well, you know what I mean? I'll say, "I'll take you wide." You no, know what I mean? I'll no. keep you to the outside. How many of your boys are still alive? Oh, we're live. Oh, I didn't know where you were going there. Like, what are you doing? Trying to break talking, news to me right now? Talking pucks and sticks. Both of them. Columbus, Calgary. Both of them still alive. D'Angelo's right? out. D'Angelo's out. New York, out. So we got two still who's alive. the Columbus right guy? Eric Robinson. Fourth line grinder. Steady fourth liner. Does his role. Mucks and grinds. Keeps the buck in the offensive zone. You know? 